0: Well, hello, thanks for joining us today. Really happy that you're here. I want you to grab a pen and a pad because you're going to want to take some notes. Our first guest today is Lawrence, or Larry Bell, and Larry's with a firm called Advisors LLC, and for many, many years... Larry's been known as the go-to person for ideas that might not be available through your typical advisor group. Today we're going to focus on the new tax law and how it's affecting nonprofits. Larry, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us again.
1: Bill, thank you for the invitation. Um, I look forward to our journey.
0: Larry, tell us a little bit more about you and your background so our listeners can get acquainted with you.
1: Thank you, Bill. I have a multidisciplinary approach to problem solving. I entered the practice of law in 1974. Along the way, I got my master's degree in taxation. Uh, for 10 years, I was on the IRS forum for the Ethical Practice of Tax Administration, heading up the nonprofit chair. I left private practice in 1997, went in-house with a client, have received patents on business method patents, and since 2003, have been consulting with lawyers, accountants, those people that I used to be in competition with. Now, they bring me in when they don't have a straightforward, linear answer, and we solve the problems together.
0: All right, now you have some exciting takes on what's happening with nonprofits. Tell us about some of the things you're seeing as, as potential planning opportunities for uh, executives and uh, for nonprofits.
1: This was an overnight success It took 20 years to do. Back in the early aughts, there were, in trying to get more money in, the corporations, public health companies, were required to not deduct compensation to the top five employees if it was over a million dollars, that was referenced as 162M. Well, the government reached out and said, Nonprofits, we're going to do the same thing to you that we're doing to the publicly held companies, except since it's not going to be non deductible because the nonprofit doesn't pay any tax anyway. What they're saying is, in looking at the new tax rates, there will be a 21% excise tax levied at the nonprofit level for any compensation over a million dollars to the top 5 executives. Well, in 2014 there was over 2,700 executives in nonprofits making over a million dollars. So, as in any provision, there's always carve-outs and exclusions. And I started tracking in the 1990s, the provision as an exclusion or a carve-out under 457F. We've talked about this before. And I actually, you you provided me with a great interview where I walked through how you can use a bona fide death benefit plan to avoid the deferred complementations of the nonprofit rules of 457F. June 2016, they gave the final regs on that. I utilized those regs that I had been reviewing since the 90s and included in my patent that I received in 2010. And so there is a carve-out under the excise tax rules of 4960 that says if you're a bona fide debt benefit plan, it is not deemed remuneration, it's not deemed compensation, it's not deemed deferred compensation, and it won't be subject to the excise tax of the non-profit regime under 4960. So. There is still a way to avoid the excise tax and defer the income tax without risk of forfeiture for these nonprofits. By way of a brief example, I'm working with a very large nonprofit up in Cleveland, and they have a 53-year-old executive who is making many millions of dollars. He's the CEO. If we did a $1 million deferral, and you can do this by way of a salary reduction so it's not costing anything at the non-profit level, and in fact, they're saving on a million-dollar funding, they're saving $210,000 a year. We do that for 10 years, and then the executive can pull out distributions of 771000 a year for 15 years, and the nonprofit by complying with the bona fide death benefit rules, will be saving $3.9 million. So that's a win-win. So we're very pleased with those results, in that particular fact
0: situation, that's incredible. So, amongst the executives making over a million, I think I heard you say they have to, they're also the top five employees, so it's limited to the top five people making over a million per nonprofit. Is that right?
1: This can work not just for those top five, but if there are other executives or nonprofits that want to make a more moderate contribution. That can be done because this is not a qualified plan. It can be provided on a selective basis and just like a group term life arrangement, the participant will be taxed on the table I cost, which is a very modest hoarding amount, which then gets paid tax on.
0: This that the is excess correct. tax and
1: if it's as within a hospital, if that professional is earning it is earning that money for actually providing medical care that's exempt. However, if it is a person that is a doctor that is a CEO and is an administrator, then it's all up for grabs.
0: I see. Okay. The nonprofits, it seems like they would be all over this. It's It's saving them a huge amount of money, and it's helping the executive – to uh, to put some money uh, aside for the future, what do you call this strategy?
1: This comes under section 457e11. In shorthand, we're looking at it as a 457 DBO, 457 death benefit only plan. This actually, as I as I shared with you, stemmed from what I had been doing for quite a while. That then got refined after the 2016 final regulations, and then the Society of Actuaries new. Mortality tables that were generated in 2017. We're currently working with a number of large accounting firms that are servicing these nonprofits. We keep it simple, we keep it straightforward. You don't even need to have a trust set up, you don't need a trustee. It's a co ownership arrangement, and the amount of the contribution is actuarially determined so that we make sure we follow the appropriate sections of the law, particularly sections 419B and 419C. And then at the end of the day, the participant, when they're no longer funding by way of a salary reduction, uh, they then will have the ownership of the policy.
0: You say it's a co-ownership arrangement, so does that mean that the nonprofit has rights to some of the death benefit for cost recovery?
1: Actually, no, because the way that we're setting it up, it can be totally funded by salary reduction at the executive's level, Mm -hmm. so it's not as though it's a split-dollar and money mm-hmm. is being advanced by the nonprofit that they are basically yeah. acting as a plan sponsor, and the co ownership arrangement is in line with another section of the law, Treasury Reg 31.3121. I know this is exciting walking through this, but this is all of the infrastructure. <laughs> and mm-hmm. under 31.3121, the plan sponsor cannot have any access to the policy, and the participant cannot name the beneficiary as long as the funding period happens. So the co-ownership agreement sets forth that employer doesn't have any rights to it, and because the plan itself names the spouse as the beneficiary, and if no spouse, then under the estate plan of the insured, that's all spelled out in the co-ownership arrangement.
0: The nonprofit's obviously motivated to save the, the excise tax cost of 21 percent, that's that's motivation enough for them to want to look at something like this. Is this in the in the world of alternatives? Is there anything to compare this to, or is this this the one and only way to go for this type of a of a excise tax savings?
1: This is one of a couple. However, when you spreadsheet the other. The other two choices would be a 457F plan, but there's then a risk of forfeiture. And that asset then is on the books of the operating company, of the nonprofit. So that means that the executives, the creditors of the nonprofit can go after that asset. The CEO doesn't want to see that happen. That And at the termination of the funding of a 457F, there is then a taxation of all of the monies, even though they may not be taken out. That is not necessarily the case with the 457E11. And then the third choice that we see is a cash balance plan under under another provision of the law. And the 457 uh, cash balance plan, those monies go against the million-dollar ceiling, so It's not as attractive, though it is uh, something that can be considered. Everyone feels that their children are the best and the brightest. So, sure, I lean in supporting using the 457E11. However, one size does not fit all, and this is why the executive, together with the board of directors of the nonprofit, should work with their advisors to make sure that what they're doing uh, meets the needs and are also compliant.
0: Excellent.